Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today we present the conclusion of a two-part series where Dr. Forrest asks us, Who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? Well, let's do our confession as a church. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. So who's afraid of the Holy Ghost? Part two. Last week, we talked about how that in the body of Christ today, there are many people born again, Bible-believing individuals, even pastors and leaders who are afraid of the Holy Ghost. They're afraid of the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. They're afraid of the gift of tongues. They're afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. They're afraid of the power and the presence of God like it manifested here this morning. I believe they're afraid for one of two reasons. Number one, they haven't been taught and or they haven't sought the Lord for biblical answers to their questions or their objections. And so they fear what they do not understand. Or number two, they have been taught and have sought the Lord for answers but still harbor fear that allowing the Holy Ghost to move in their services and or preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost will scare more people off than it will attract. Amen. Now, if you've come to some of our services, you'll find out pretty quickly that we don't believe that to be the case. We're not afraid of the move of the Holy Ghost, but at the same time, we do things decently and in order as the Apostle Paul exhorted us to in Corinthians. Amen? Last week, I gave you four reasons why Christians shouldn't be afraid of the Holy Ghost. I want to recap those and pick up where we left off last week. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is the promise of the Father. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it was delivered in the New Testament. Amen. Number two, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He won't give you something you don't need, and He won't give you something that will harm you in any way. Number three, everywhere in Scripture where people got baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. As I said last week, just deal with it. Number four, preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost and embracing the gifts of the Spirit is the best way to grow a church of vibrant, spirit-filled, effective believers. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's begin with number one, and we're going to go through these fairly rapidly because I want to get to number four and spend some time on number four. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is the promise of the Father. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it was delivered in the New Testament. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He said, Don't go anywhere and don't do anything until you get the power. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, 
which saith he, ye have heard of me. And then in Acts 2.33, Therefore Jesus, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. And then it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, something I didn't really bring out last week. Isaiah said, when people talk in tongues, this time that's coming that I'm prophesying about 700 years in the future, when tongues comes, it's going to bring rest and refreshing to the people who talk in tongues. Amen. So one of the reasons you need to be talking in tongues is to bring rest and refreshing and restoration to your spirit, soul, and body. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, Paul quotes Isaiah in his chapter dedicated to speaking in tongues. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. So Paul was saying it was prophesied that tongues would come. It would bring rest refreshing and edification to those who would receive it but there would be some who would not receive it and would not accept it and would not hear what the lord is saying through the gift of tongues you know jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever the spirit of the pharisees is the same yesterday today and forever i mean there's people that will either tell you tongues is passed away or they'll take it a step further and say tongues is of the devil you know what I say to that, right? Saying that tongues is of the devil is of the devil. Amen. Hallelujah. So, number two, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He won't give you something you don't need, and he won't give you something that will harm you in any way. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the same one that you pledged to when you got born again. He wants to give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So why would you be afraid? Matthew 3.11, Gospel of Matthew, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. This is John the Baptist. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there again, it's in the Scripture. Last week we read from the Gospel of John that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. If you're stiff-arming the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm sorry to tell you this, you are stiff-arming Jesus himself. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. Jesus said, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, and that really means fallen men, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen. All of these items mentioned by Jesus are necessary for survival. We need bread, fish, eggs, and other type of food to sustain us physically. Is that not true? So listen, this is what Jesus was saying. 
Jesus wants to give you what you need to sustain you as a born-again believer, and that is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's not going to give you something of no value like a stone instead of a loaf of bread. To a hungry man, a stone is of no value. So you can't devalue the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can't say, I don't need that. Jesus says, it's a value. It brings sustenance. It'll help you survive the Christian life. Amen. And he's not going to give you something demonic or harmful in place of the Holy Ghost, like giving you a serpent or a scorpion in place of a fish or an egg. So if you ask for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which Jesus says you need for sustenance and you need for survival, He's certainly not going to give you a demonic counterfeit instead. Amen? Let me just camp there for a minute. Some people say, well, you know, the devil counterfeits the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, that might be true. That doesn't mean there is no authentic. The mere fact that you're saying there's a counterfeit points to the fact that there is the real thing. If I gave you a $1,000 bill, I'm betting you wouldn't say, I'm not going to accept that because it might be counterfeit. No, you're going to take, you're going to take it because you know the chances that it's counterfeit are relatively low. Amen. Well, I'm saying the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the chances are zero that you're going to get something that's harmful for you. You think Jesus, the baptizer, when you come to him, say, Father, I'm a born again child of God. I want to take the next level. I want to take the next step. I want you to baptize me with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. You think that Jesus is going to step aside and say, devil, um, now you can slip in a demonic spirit to deceive them. Is that the kind of Jesus we serve? I'm telling you what, if Jesus is in charge of baptizing people in the Holy Ghost, he's not going to let that happen. So you don't need to be afraid of getting something that's not God if you go to him in faith. Amen. Number three, everywhere in Scripture where people got baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Amen. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 10 verse 44 through 46 while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Paul encounters some disciples on the coast of Ephesus. He asked them, he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they essentially said to the Apostle Paul, we never even heard of the Holy Ghost. It's a sad commentary, but there's a lot of churches today that they might as well not have heard of the Holy Ghost because he's sure not operating in their services. Amen. So. He prays for them. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Number four. Preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost and embracing the gifts of the Spirit is the best way to grow a church of vibrant, Spirit-filled, effective believers. I believe we find the Holy Ghost model for explosive church growth in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. 
Last week, we went through most of Acts chapter 2 and saw a pattern of things that was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. And we won't go through all of them. You can listen to the podcast from last week if you want to hear more details. But at the core of all of them, you'll find two major components which form the basis of the Holy Ghost model for explosive church growth. Number one. There were supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of God. Things like the sound of rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire. 120 people got filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues. And a large crowd gathered. Number two, there was bold, Spirit-filled preaching of the Word, followed by a call to be born again and baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. All of this resulted in explosive and sustainable church growth as 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord and got baptized in the Holy Ghost in the city of Jerusalem. Just think about it. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in just one day. In fact, probably one hour. Amen. Now, that's a miracle. Okay, so... Does that sound like we need to put the Holy Ghost in a corner and we need to sideline the Holy Ghost to keep people in the church, to keep people from running away from the church? It doesn't say that we had this massive outpouring of the Holy Ghost, which was loud and boisterous and different. And then Peter got up and preached the word strong and bold and said, you're the ones who crucified the Christ, but he's ready to forgive you. Come, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And as we said last week, 3,000 people weren't chased from the church. 3,000 people were added to the church. A lot of pastors today think that you need to put the Holy Ghost in a corner. And if you're going to get somebody baptized in the Holy Ghost, we've got a room in the back. Take them back there, you know. Well, you know what? The Bible says tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. If we don't let tongues loose in our services, there won't be signs to the unbeliever. Amen. I've heard of services where people started talking in tongues and there was somebody there and it was the only person there in the service that spoke that language and they got their mail read to them and they got told what their name was and what their address was and furthermore, you need to kneel before Jesus and accept Him as Lord and Savior and they got saved because of the gift of tongues. I'm telling you, it happens all over the world all the time. Tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. That's just one Example of how that manifests. Amen. Hallelujah. I remember when I was a young Episcopal boy, I grew up in the Episcopal church. I grew up in church. I was taught the word, but none of it was real to me until I walked into a spirit-filled youth group. It was a citywide group. It was open to the youth of the city called the Coffee House. It met in the basement of Grace Moravian Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I wandered in there and I saw people singing, praising God, hands in the air. They were singing in tongues, talking in tongues. Teenagers were prophesying to one another and it was all a little bit weird to me. But you know what? Instead of chasing me out the door, I felt a strange attraction to that place because I knew they had something that I didn't have. There was something palpable in the air. The presence of God could be felt. It was weird to me, but I recognized that it was supernatural. 
and it drew me in. It didn't chase me away. You know, if you let the Holy Ghost loose in your services, you might chase some away, but if you do it right, you'll attract more than you chase away. You will. And I was going to say this in my summary, but I'll say it right now. If you are chasing more people away than you're pulling in, you're probably doing something wrong. You probably need to step back and say, are we getting wild and woolly like the Corinthians? Do we need to take another look at the way we manage the gifts of the Spirit so that things are done decently and in order? And if you do, then go ahead and make the adjustment. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, we're not letting the Holy Ghost loose at all. It's just too much trouble. <laughs> Tell that to Peter as he preached and 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I know it seems like I'm getting on a soapbox here, but you know, people out there, maybe not you, but people that are going to listen to this podcast, they need to hear this. Pastors and leaders, I'm talking to you. Don't hide the Holy Ghost in the closet. Don't hide tongues in the closet. I mean, back when I was coming to the things of God, there were no churches on every street corner where you could go into a Spirit-filled church. They weren't there. Where the Spirit moved and the Word was preached boldly, they just weren't there. You had to go into the denominational churches that got caught up in the charismatic revival. This is in the 1970s to see the Spirit of God move, to hear anointed preaching of the Word. So we used to go as teenagers. Now, we're teenagers. We would pile as many teenagers in a car as we could, and we would drive to Winston-Salem monthly to the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship International a group of people we had zero in common with, doctors and lawyers and businessmen, except for the fact that they believed in speaking in tongues and they believed in praying for people and they believed in healing. So we would go just so we could be in an environment where people believed like we did, even though they had nothing in common with us in the natural. Amen? And I'm telling you, it's the same today. If we will allow the Holy Ghost to move, and do things decently and in order, people will be swept in. I had a vision over a year ago when we were in our other facility in Monkey Junction. And in the vision, a messenger angel came to me and he spoke to me about the presence. He said, people in this place are creating an atmosphere of the presence of God and it's so strong, it's seeping through the walls of your facility and going out into the community and touching people. This is what this messenger told me. He said, Carolina will come for the presence. And then I came out of the vision. I'm, I was like, north and south? You know, I'm already, I'm bargaining with God, you know. North and south? You know? To this day, I remind the Lord, you said Carolina would come if we cultivated the presence, and we cultivate the presence, and I believe it'll be even as you spoke it unto me in the vision, in the name of Jesus. Carolina will come and fill this place as we fill this place with the presence of God. Amen. Now, we talked about Acts chapter 2 last week, and we'll wrap it up with this. It's going to be kind of lengthy. I'm going to go through a lot of Scripture here, but just hang with me. The same pattern is repeated in Acts chapter 3. You know, you've got a huge outpouring of the Spirit. There's manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And then bold preaching in the Word. And then thousands come to Christ. Now watch for that same pattern here in Acts chapter 3. 
Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaped up, stood, and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto them. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Amen. Here again, we have a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Ghost, a creative miracle which caused a man that was lame from birth to be instantly healed. Amen. A man that everybody knew about. He was 40 years old, the Bible says. Everybody came in and out of that gate and saw him for decades, and then they saw him healed instantly in the name of Jesus. And this man began walking and leaping and praising God, then latched on to Peter and John and followed them into the temple. Amen. They got him healed and they took him to church. Amen. It wasn't long before a large crowd gathered in the temple, in church. Amen. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Listen, he's throwing out the hook. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Amen. He's saying, I want you to get born again and remember the times of refreshing is associated with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. So basically he was saying you need to be born again and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Amen. So Peter seizes the opportunity as he did on the day of Pentecost and he confronted them again. You were the ones that called for his crucifixion, but Jesus is ready to forgive you and build the foundation of his church 
with those who call for his crucifixion. Isn't God different than we are? Amen. If I was going to start my church, I don't know if I would start it with the people who put me on the cross. But God thinks differently than we do. Amen. He repeats the same call to the crowds in the temple. Repent, be born again, and be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And then Acts chapter 4 verse 4, we find out the result. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Glory to God. Now we're just talking about the men, not including all the families that were associated with those men. The church went from 120 to 3,120 and adding 5,000 families to the church in Jerusalem. I call that explosive church growth. And not because they put the Holy Ghost in the closet and not because they hid tongues from the people or the manifestation of the Spirit like a creative miracle. A man gets instantly healed. They didn't take him to the back to get him healed. They did it right in front of everybody at the beautiful gate with lots of people streaming in and streaming out. And as a result of openly allowing the Holy Ghost to move and boldly preaching the Word of God, 5,000 families came into the church. This is the Holy Ghost model for explosive church growth, not the other way around. Now, listen, I'll summarize and I'll wrap it up by saying this. You might build a large church by playing it safe, steering clear of controversy, keeping the Holy Ghost in the closet, keeping tongues tamped down as much as you can. You might build a large church that way, but you'll have a large church full of ineffective believers. In fact, I'll put it this way. You'll have a church full of believers, not a church full of disciples. And you need disciples if you're going to change this world for the gospel. They need to know who they are in Christ. They need to be taught the word. They need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. They need to be speaking with other tongues. And they need to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Otherwise, they're going to have negligible impact on the kingdom of darkness. And they will have negligible impact on those around them. Amen. At that full gospel businessmen meeting, this is a story that I just felt like I should share. The very first one we went to, there was a healing evangelist. It was a Monday night in some sort of auditorium. It's been so long ago, I don't remember. I was 18 years old. And this healing evangelist got up behind the podium. There was probably three or 400 people there. And he preached an anointed word on God wants you well. Jesus saves and Jesus heals. And then he said, afterwards, he said, now we're going to pray for the sick. And we got a room in the back. Back in those days, they, they still didn't get the word. that They hadn't got the memo that it's okay to let the Holy Ghost outside of his box. You know, So even when the Holy Ghost was moving as mightily as he was in the charismatic revival, there were still people that were trying to hide him in the back room. And I remember I went to the back room, and there was a man there that this evangelist prayed for, and he had one leg that was about six inches shorter than the other. And the man's testimony was this. He was an orthopedic surgeon. He told the evangelist, I know this is my specialty. Medical science has no answer for me. And so this guy sat him down in a chair and had everybody surround him. Now, again, this is the way they did it back then. We're out of the closet now, amen. We don't do it like that anymore. There's like 
10 of us teenagers and all these doctors and lawyers, and we're all surrounded. And the guy said, now, listen, I want you to participate. I don't want you just gawking, you know. So I want you to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank Jesus for what he's going to do. Thank him ahead of time. So we're all, you know, we were like chanting. We didn't know any better. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I never took my eyes off this guy's leg. He he took his shoes off. He rolled up his pants leg. I mean, I mean, he was holding his heels in his hand and it was clear there, And his back was against the chair. There wasn't any fake in it. This man was severely deformed. He was born that way. And so I don't know how long it to me. It was like 10 minutes. It was probably two or three. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got laser focus on that guy's leg. And all of a sudden, I heard a bone crack. It was like, crack! And that leg just popped out instantly. His leg was the same size as the other. First miracle I've ever personally uh, witnessed. Okay, But my point is, it was in the back room. How much more effective would it have been if he got up on the platform in front of three or four hundred people and they saw what we saw? There was only about 30, 40 of us back in the back room. How much more effective would it have been if they let the Holy Ghost out of the box and not be so afraid of what people think? Amen. I'm telling you, we need to get the Holy Ghost out of the closet. Get him out there where the people can see him move. Amen. And the same pattern will be repeated in our church today. Supernatural manifestations of the Spirit followed by bold preaching of the Word will trigger explosive church growth. I speak it over Faith Life Fellowship in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of today's message titled, Who's Afraid of the Holy Ghost? If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Faith Life Wilmington.